Hey, my name is uh, Matt Evans. Just want to welcome you all across North Georgia, Tennessee Valley. So thank you for being here, whether you're up in Hickson or our southernmost campus in Calhoun or Chatsworth, Ringgold, Dalton. In between, thank you so much for being here. Again, we're in part four of a series that we sort of uh, start that we started uh, kind of to coincide with it kind of end of summer and sort of back to school called I Am Not a Quitter. And we've covered a lot of ground and we've talked about hard things potentially being good things and we've talked about hard things being things that we can do through Christ who gives us strength because we've said all along that all of us go through seasons and uh, things in our lives where it just feels like we want to throw in the towel, we want to quit, and we want to give up, and we're trying to understand what it would look like to be people who persevere, push through problems, push through pressures, push, push through pain, and get to what we have called the payoff zone, the payoff zone for our endeavors. Would you join with me as we pray together? God, we need your help tonight. We need your help this weekend for you, God, to illuminate Scripture, for you to open our minds, for you to make us teachable so we can see things, uh, God, that right now we cannot see without your assistance, so we can hear things, God, that we cannot hear without your assistance. And, and God, we came in here, and, and maybe we came in here for a variety of different reasons, but God, I pray in the name of Jesus that we would leave different then we came in, even if we're not expecting to, God, that you would give us a sense of expectancy. I pray for people here who, God, this is maybe their first time back to church in a while, and they've never been to church. They're not even sure if they want to follow you. That's okay, God. I pray you meet them where they are. I pray you meet them where they are. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen and amen. So uh, every now and then, somebody will ask you this question, hey, how you doing? What's going on? And you, if you're like me, you'll most likely give an answer like, hey, things are good. You know, the boys are in school. Boys are playing sports. You know, Bethany, everything's going good. Everything's going all right around me, right? And you'll give this answer of how you're doing based on what's going on around you. And, and so there's this tension that inevitably comes up in, in our lives when things that are going on, and we'll put this and illustrate it this way, when things are going on around me seem greater than or have the capacity or potential to overwhelm what's going on in me. And whenever this kind of shifts and you think, man, the stuff that is going on around me is greater than what I have in me, you are going to be tempted, I'm going to be tempted to quit. And so this is like a, a tension, right, that we face when life is happening around us. And, and that could be work or family. That could be pressure. That could be stress. That could be fear. That could be uncertainty. That could be anxiety. Uh, and, and it's like, man, what is going on around me seems to outweigh and trump and overwhelm what is happening in me. And so you would say this, I don't think I have what it takes. And that's when you get tempted, as we've been talking about for the last several weeks, you're tempted to quit, okay? And there's a pressure that we put on ourselves to sort of have what it takes in us in order to survive and thrive with what's going on around us. And we all kind of have this tendency to carry that pressure, especially as Americans. You know, we got to live the American dream. We can do it. You know, we can make it and we can push through. And, and the challenge that we're going to face today is what happens when the stuff going on around you seems greater than what you got in you. Uh, Elizabeth Elliot makes this famous quote, and I'll tell you about her in just a second, but she says this, fear as, and worries arise when we imagine everything depends upon us. 
So when everything going on around us elicits debilitating fear or debilitating worry or anxiety, so much that we're tempted to throw in the towel, so much that we're tempted to quit on God, quit on our marriage, quit on our job, quit on our initiative, quit on our endeavor, we're imagining, and, and her words are key, that everything depends upon us. Now, a little, so a little bit about Elizabeth Elliot. Her husband is named Jim Elliot. In the 1950s, he, he was going to be a missionary to Ecuador. And he lands on, his, on the beach of Ecuador with his, uh, with his partners, and he's almost immediately killed by the tribe of people he was going to share Jesus with. She goes back to the same tribe of people that killed her husband years later, shares Christ with them, and they become Christians. So she's speaking somewhat authoritatively when she says, when fears and worries arise, when we imagine everything depends on us. So what that looks like practically in your day-to-day life and my day-to-day life is this. When the stuff going on around us seems to outweigh our resources inside ourselves, and we think handling this, resolving this, depends on what's going on inside of us. And so we've got to wrestle with that tension, and we've got to wrestle with that weight, and we've got to wrestle with the burdens you kind of walked in the door with, uh, the burden of work, the burden of life, the burden of guilt, the burden of stress, the burden of cancer, whatever that is. got stuff going on around you, and you're, all of us are going to go through a season where this seems to be great. Greater than this. And so we really are going to come up with three options. And my bet is most of us have tried the first two options. And I'm going to present a third option so you can walk out of here and say, I am not a quitter. The first option is this we try to compensate for ourselves. And I'm going to use this phrase of compensation. And, and what I mean by that is we, we have, there's, there's what's going on in me and what's going on around me. So I want to compensate for what I don't have in order to handle what I'm facing. And we'll use, we'll go to insecurity. We'll go to anger. We'll go to our performance. Some of us, we become control freaks in that moment. And we just want to control everything going on around us because we're afraid we don't have what it takes to survive. And so we try to compensate for our perceived lack in order to handle what's going on around us. Now, interesting enough, there's two people that you're probably familiar with, and this is sort of how they live their lives. They're trying to compensate for this sense of lack that they have within themselves. So first person we're going to talk about or listen to is Madonna. Here's what Madonna says, and most of us know who she is and her famous music and performance. Here's what she says. My drive in life comes from a fear of being mediocre. Now, what is the feeling of mediocrity? That who I am, what's going on in me, isn't enough. It's insufficient. I am somehow deficient, so I am driven to compensate for that perceived mediocrity. That is always pushing me, she said. I push past one spell of it and discover myself as a special human being, but then I feel I'm still mediocre and uninteresting unless I do something else, because even though I've become somebody, I still have to prove that I am somebody. My struggle has never ended, and I guess it never will. So Madonna, as successful as the world thinks she is or says she is in the pop artist industry, inside Madonna is walking around with this sense of, 
I don't have what it takes, and I'm just trying to prove myself. And she can't get off that cycle and get off that kind of never-ending treadmill and roller coaster of prove myself, attain some accolade or award or achievement, and then I got to one-up that and do better or else I'm nobody because what's going on around me is really greater than what's going on in me. How about another lady that the world calls incredibly successful? Her name's Oprah Winfrey, right? Here's what Oprah says, and she walked away from the God of the Bible several years, uh, years ago. She says this, I discovered I am certainly not worthy of love. It's interesting that she says that. Unless I was accomplishing something. I have never felt I could be loved just for being. So there's something in me that's sort of not lovable. There's something about me that's not lovable, so I compensate for that by trying to accomplish something. And in the world's eyes, right, she's a well-accomplished woman, but inside, she's deficient, and she's admitting it. Madonna and Oprah, and and here's the thing I would say. Those two ladies may have more self-awareness and more brutal honesty than you and I do, because we'd like to pretend that we're okay, And we at least like to look that we're okay. And and we'll compensate to try to at least appear okay. And the Bible warns us about this tendency. And it warns us about the places we tend to go to compensate for what we lack inside of us. Jeremiah 2.13 says it this way. My people, this is God speaking, have committed two sins, two problems that you've done. They have forsaken me or abandoned me or walked away from God. The spring of living water, so God's got a source, God's got a supply, God's got a resource, and they have dug their own cisterns. We've gone looking for water, for sufficiency apart from God. Madonna goes to what? Trying to be special. Oprah goes to trying to perform and accomplish more. That's how they compensate. And here's what God says. So you've dug your own cisterns to compensate, broke, and they are broken cisterns that cannot hold water. They, in the day, they fail, they leak, and they're insufficient to make up for our own internal deficiencies. So that's the first option is you and I can compensate. Second option is you and I can compromise. You and I can compromise. Now, what do I mean when I say you and I can compromise? This means we just start looking to the world, and we look around us. It's like if around us is greater than in us, I'll just sort of live around, and I'll camouflage myself, and I'll become part of the world. I'll become part of the broken system. And and here's what we need to understand. The world is broken. The world is not as God intended it. So if you are looking to the world to fill your lack or your deficiency when you feel that what's going on around you is greater than what's going on in you, and you're like, well, I'll look what's around me to make up for what's in me, here's the deal. A broken world can never fix a broken person. A broken world can never fix a broken person. And so in in 1 John, we are warned about compromising or looking to the world to become our source of sufficiency. And here's how John writes in 1 John 2, 15. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of God the Father is not in him. So two loves being contrasted. Two loves. There's two kinds of love he contrasts. For everything in the world, he gives three things. The lust of the flesh 
Hey, I want that for my ego. I want that to make, to make me feel better about myself. I want that to fuel my pride, my self-esteem, that thing in the world, that accolade, that achievement, that attaboy, that approval. I, I'm lusting after it. He uses kind of physical pleasure language to, call, to describe that. And then he says, the lust of the eyes. I see something and I say, I have to have it. I see something and I say, I need that to be whole. I need that to be a complete person. I need that to make up for the deficiency going on in me. And he says, the pride in one's possessions. Hey, what I have makes me feel special. All of those things are the world, according to 1 John. He says, is not from the Father. So that's not from God. So if you are trying to compromise with the world to feel better about what's going on or what's not going on inside of you, that's not of God, but is from the world. And here's the warning. The world with its lust is passing away, but the one who does the will of God remains forever remains forever. And here's the temptation I think a lot of us and the church in America finds itself in. We're okay with believing in God. We're okay with saying, I believe in some or all of the facts of the Bible, you know, and that's okay. But as far as actually yielding, surrendering, getting my sense of identity, getting my sense of who I am, my purpose in life from God, no thank you. I want to get all that stuff from the world. And so the danger is we become camouflaged Christians, pseudo-Christians, and we sort of look Christian at least one hour a week or a couple of times a year. Maybe there's a cross on our necklace that we wear occasionally. But really, in reality, we're no different than anybody else. We're chasing the same dreams, pursuing the same prizes, digging the same wells that do not hold water. And we're warned about this in a very powerful passage in 2 Timothy 3. And here's what he says. And he's talking to people who look like a Christian. Here's what he says. Know this, hard times will come in the last days. Now, what's interesting is when he says the word hard times, you know, we automatically think about a natural disaster. Or we think about like wars and, or terrorism. Or, or we think about corruption in government or what we heard on Fox News or CNN. And like, man, what's the world coming to? But he doesn't describe any of that. He describes the character of people in the church. This is what he says. For people will be lovers of self. Sounds like what John said, right? Lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh. Lovers of money, boastful, proud, demeaning, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, without love for what is good, traitors, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And then here's here's the indicting phrase. Holding to the form of godliness, but denying its power. I look like a Christian. I even do some Christian things, but I lack the power of a godly life. In other words, I look, when you look at me from the outside, looking at me, I look the part. But on the inside, I have no power of a changed life. I have no power in me. I've just compromised with the world around me. 
So both of those options, compensate or compromise, lends us back to this equation that what is around me is greater than in me. And and here's what we don't want. We're going to end this series today, this weekend. We don't want to walk out of here and that be your life equation. We, we don't want, I don't want you to walk out of here facing whatever you're going to face, facing whatever you are facing, compensating, compromising, and that be the description of your life. That what's going on around you is greater than what's inside of you. Because at some point, you'll quit. And at some point, you'll quit your faith, you'll quit your family, you'll quit. Now, there's a third option. And this third option is going to come from 1 John, as we've been talking through some of that book already. It's going to come from chapter 5. And I'm going to work backwards. I'm going to tell you the last part of the verses that we're going to look at. We're going to look at 1 through 5. But in the last part, it gives us where we want to get to. And here's what he says in 1 John 5, first part of verse 4. Everyone who has been, key phrase for us today, born of God, and here's our third word, conquers the world. So this means something that the world cannot be greater than what's going on inside of you if you've been born of God. And so the option now is conquer. So our third option, instead of compensate, instead of compromise, our third option is conquer. Now, I like that word, especially in a series called I Am Not a Quitter. I'm a now a conqueror. I, what's going on around me doesn't get the best of me. What's going on around me isn't greater than what's going on in me, but there's a condition There's a condition he gave us. I have to be, we have to be born of God. And sometimes we'll call that the new birth, or sometimes you might have heard it called being born again. And that's the phrase that John and we are going to zero in on our time together today. So that he says conquer. He gives us a third option, and we're asking ourselves, all right, how do I conquer? Let's go back to verse 1 and look at how he gets there. Here's what he says in the Word of God. So everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ, and that word is rich with meaning, that's the long prophesied Jewish Messiah, Jesus the Son of God, Jesus the Anointed One, Jesus the Awaited Savior, Jesus the King of Kings, that phrase is rich with meaning. Jesus is the Christ. So Jesus is not another religious teacher. Jesus is not a good man who did some good things. Jesus is God. Jesus is Alpha. Jesus is Omega. Jesus is the long-awaited, prophesied since Genesis 3, Messiah. Jesus came from Jewish people. Jesus was killed, crucified on a cross, and resurrected on the third day to demonstrate and declare Jesus is the Christ. That's a huge statement. Anyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and he contrasts intentionally the birth we all experience from our mothers with being born of God. And everyone who loves the Father, or, or Jesus' Father, loves the Father, also loves the one born of of him. So loves Christ, loves God, love others as we say at Rockbridge. Now here's the implication that we've got to zero in on is this. We need something that we do not have. We need something that we do not have. And this is why what's going on around you will always, always, always eventually overwhelm what's going on in you 
Because we need something we do not possess. We are not born with it. We are not born into it. We cannot earn it. We cannot deserve it. We cannot achieve it. We cannot accomplish it. And this is why Madonna and Oprah are on that never-ending roller coaster, that unending treadmill of trying to accomplish and trying to outdo and trying to get ahead and this, that. And that's why inside they're crumbling because they can't keep up. What I would say to Madonna... What I would say to Oprah, what I would say to all of us here today, we need something we do not have. And that begins to put us in a quandary because we think we can earn it, prove it, deserve it, buy it, accomplish it. So to zero in on that, we're going to look at two guys that Jesus interacted with. One's a man named Nicodemus. One's a guy that you might have heard his name. His name is Judas. One betrayed him, and one ended up becoming a follower. So in his interaction with Nicodemus, Nicodemus is a religious leader. So in John chapter 3, there's this interaction. And it says there's a man from the Pharisees named Nicodemus, and he's a ruler of the Jews. Now, here, let me put that in modern language. Nicodemus is a deacon, an elder in the church. Nicodemus is a good, respectable man. He does good things. He, he's spiritual. He follows the Bible. He's a good person. This man came to Jesus at night because he's afraid of other people and said, Rabbi or teacher, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God for no one could perform the signs you do unless God were with him. And Jesus replied, here's what Jesus says, same thing we just read about. Truly I tell you, unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus, as good and a respectable guy as you are, you cannot, you do not have what it takes to get into the kingdom of God. What is going on around you will always crush what's going on inside of you. Being a good person in a, good, in a few people's eyes does not count. Having respectable goodness in your society, in your hometown, does not count, Nicodemus. You need to be born of God, not just born of your mother. And this confuses Nicodemus. So he says, well, how can anyone be born when he's old? Nicodemus asked, can he enter his mother's womb a second time and be born? And so Nicodemus is stuck, and he can't understand why he doesn't have what it takes to get into the kingdom of God. Because Nicodemus has what I'll call and is this not the plague of the Bible Belt? Nicodemus has respectable goodness. And Jesus looks him square in the eye and says, that's not good enough. You don't have what it takes in you to get into the kingdom. Something has to happen to you from above. You have to be born of God to make it into the kingdom. So then there's a guy named Judas. Judas, who's one of the 12, the original 12, chosen to follow Jesus, spends 18 to 36 months at Jesus' side. And Jesus doesn't kind of live up to, to, to Judas' expectations, and so Judas strikes a deal. Here's the deal, Matthew 26, 14 through 16. Then one of the 12, so let, let, me, let me put that in today's context. God, one of the leaders in the church... One of the people that, you know, man, they're there with Jesus. They got to be holy. They got to be great. Then one of the 12, the man called Judas, went to the chief priest and said, what are you willing to give me if I hand him over to you? I'm willing to make a trade and a transaction. So they weighed out 30 pieces of silver for him 
And from that time, he started looking for a good opportunity to betray him. Judas, who'd spent time with Jesus, Judas, who knew Jesus' teachings, did not value, cherish, prize, or, I would say it this way, he failed to love Jesus. He looked like he loved him, but he failed. And he traded Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. He betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. See, there's, a lo- there's love, and, and there's, there's love that begins to overshadow other loves, right? And overshadow lesser loves. When you become a parent, your love for your child trumps your love for sleep. If you become, if you like are an athlete, your love for your sport and training trumps your love from sitting on the sofa and eating little Debbie's. What never happened to Judas, what never happened to Judas, he never got to the point where his love for Christ would cause him to let go of everything else. And so on one fateful night, the price was right, and he walked away from Jesus. And what those two stories have to convince us of here today, and what the Word of God has to show you, and I'm praying that it does today, is this. We do not have what it takes. We need something to change our hearts, to value Christ above anything and everything else. We need something to convince us that we, are not, we cannot be good enough or respectable enough to enter the kingdom of God. And so the big point is this. Therefore, in light of what we've just talked about, we must be born again. We must be born again of God. We must have God act upon our hearts so our hearts get rewired, our affections get ignited for Christ. And so when someone comes up and says sex or Jesus, you're like, Jesus? So when someone comes up and says money or Jesus, it's Jesus so when comes, someone comes up and says, hey, go to the mission field and preach to, to preach to people who might kill you, it's I'll go because I love Jesus. That can't, you cannot find that inside your soul unless you have been acted upon, born again of God. You will never get that kind of love from your mama or your daddy or your self-effort or your respectable goodness. Never, ever. It has to come from being born again of God, the Holy Spirit, acting upon us. And when that happens, though, when that action of God upon the heart of human people to convict us that our respectable goodness is not enough and to show us the worth and the value of Jesus, that I would never betray Jesus for 30 pieces of silver, that I would lay down my life for Christ. When that happens, here's what 1 Peter says has replaced or gone on inside of you. He says this, you have been born again, not of perishable seed, Perishable seed is the DNA you get from your mama and your dad, your biological parents. Perishable seed guarantees, listen to me, please listen to me. Perishable seed guarantees that no matter how much money you have, how much accolades you have, there will come a time when what's going on around you will crush what's going on in you, and it's called physical death. You will die because you're made of perishable You will die physically and you will die spiritually. Your money won't save you. Your accolades won't save you. Your accomplishments won't, Madonna and Oprah. You will die because you're made of perishable. But when you've been born again, he says, you are now born of imperishable, indestructible. Something has occurred in you, Christ in you, the hope of glory, the Spirit of God in you. You're now his temple. So now what? The one who's in you is greater than everything around you. 
That's being born again. You have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. That the word of God shines this light on Christ. This word of God shines the light on our soul that says, I cannot be good enough, Nicodemus. And shines a light on Jesus and says, he is worth way more than 30 pieces of silver. He's way more than sex. He's way better than accolades and accomplishments in the eyes of the world. It's Jesus is yes to Jesus, no to the lust of the no to the lust of the flesh, no to the pride of one's life. And that's what it means to be born again. And then in that moment, the one who's in you is now greater than everything around you. And even physical death does not harm you. Harm you. That's why Elizabeth Elliot's husband could go die on a beach in Ecuador. Because he's imperishable. And if that's what God asks him to do, God's worth it. And then where John goes next in 1 John is he gives the evidences and the effects of the new birth or being born again. And these are not conditions. So hear me, hear me, hear me. If you grew up in church, you're going to be tempted to read these next two verses and say, oh, that's what I have to do in order to be born again. And what's more correct is, no, this is what happens and comes out of you once you have been born again. Because now you're rewired with DNA that is not from just your mama and your dad. It's DNA from your heavenly father. It's DNA from the father, the son, and the Holy Spirit. New loves, new affections, new ambitions. And here's what these effects are, results are, not conditions are. This is how we know that we love God's children. When we love God and obey his commands. So previously, we didn't love God. Previously, we give up, hey, 30 pieces of silver for God. Hey, give me the money, baby. God's in the background. Previously, that's what we've all done. We have traded and exchanged the glory of God for the lust of our eyes, the lust of our flesh, and the pride of our lifestyles. We've done that. We've all done that. But now, uh, with the new birth occurs, I love God so much, no price is worth forsaking Him. Because I love Him and I obey His commands. What I once found, I didn't want to do it. I didn't want to go to church. I didn't want to read my Bible. Now I have a want to. Why? Because I have imperishable seed in me. I've been born again. For this is what love for God is, to keep his commands. And the commands are not a burden. Now here's the deal. If you are sitting here outside of faith in Christ, you look at God's law and you look at God's commands like, oh, that's so burdensome. Oh, I'd have to give up that. No, 30 pieces of silver sounds great compared to Jesus. But when the new birth occurs, you get new eyes. And Jesus takes on new value, highest value, infinite value, superior value, supreme value. And so obeying Jesus is a joy and a delight because he's your highest treasure and he's your greatest value. All that happens because everyone who has been born of God, there we are again, conquers. That's what we want to do, right? The world. Conquers the world. The desires of the world, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life is conquered because I am in love with Christ, because I have been born again of the imperishable, not the perishable. This is the victory that has conquered the world. Our faith, our trust, our dependence, our valuing, our prizing, our treasuring of Jesus. So that's what he says. And that's the new birth. So, as you sit here and you listen to this, I think this hits you in one of three ways. One of three ways. First one is this. Some of you have not been born again. You may have been in church, but you looked inside yourself and you're like, 
I don't have any of that going on. I'm not sure I've ever had any of that going on. I'm Nicodemus. I think I'm pretty good compared to other people. Or I'm Judas. Because when I'm not in church, it's 30 pieces of silver over Jesus. Some of you have not been born again. Number two. Some of you would say this. My love for God has grown weak and cold. And I'm compromising or I'm compensating. But I am no longer conquering. There was a time I conquered in Christ. There was a time, like we said in part two, I can do all things in Christ. Now it's sort of just me. And I don't think God has moved. I think I have. And my love for him has grown cold. And the third group of you, third group of us here today. And you look inside yourself and here's what you see. I love Christ. I know his seed is in me. His spirit is in me. I am resting, not striving. I have joy and peace that I can't describe. And I want to keep that going. Now, now listen, here's the beautiful thing. No matter what category you find yourself in here today, the next step for you or the solution to your problem, if you're in category one, I have not been born again, or category two, my love has grown weak or cold, is the same. It's the same. And what it is, is you must look at how Jesus has loved you. You must look at a cross in history. You must look at the God who took your place. You must look at his resurrection and ask, why did he do it? You must look and ask, what kind of love is that, that he would die for me, that he would die for me when I would trade him for 30 pieces of silver or a, or a quick, easy night with my girlfriend? And that he would die for me? Yes. And I didn't deserve it? Yes. That he would die for me? That he would take my place? That he would rise again to be the Christ, to be the Messiah, to be the King of kings, and let me come into his family free and ride on the back of his blood? Yes. And you just keep looking there. So if you're in category three, man, I love Jesus. The way to keep loving Jesus is keep gazing on the old rugged cross and the empty tomb and the adoption you have into his family. If your love has grown weak, grow to, go to the place where his love is proven best. That's the cross. And if you're sitting here, I haven't been born again. The only way you will is to go stare at Jesus on the cross of Christ and the cross of Calvary and look at what he did. And that should have been you right there. And as the eyes get enlightened by the Holy Spirit, God may give you new birth as you repent and put your faith in Jesus. 1 John 3, 1 says it this way. See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And then the invitation that John gives us is our invitation today. Verse 5, 1 John 5, 5. Who is the one who conquers the world? Who is the one who what is going on in them is greater than what's going on around them? But the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God who took my place on the cross. See what a great love he's lavished on us. And at the cross, 
where that love poured out on us, where we, the place where we know that we know that we know he loved us and he died in our place, and our sin is heinous and our sin is ugly, and we traded 30 pieces of silver for him, and we try to maintain our respectable comparative goodness, but he says on the cross, none of that's good enough, but I still died in your place. That place is where this happens. Our insufficiency, I don't have what it takes, meets his sufficiency. I can't, but God can and God has. So God, would you come and make your home in my heart, in my soul? I will give you the steering wheel of my life. I will follow you to the ends of the earth. I will follow you in every way you show me. Because great is your love and great are you, O God. Let us pray. So with our, our heads bowed, our eyes closed, just kind of a posture of, uh, of listening, just want to give space for the Holy Spirit to work through the Word of God. And Holy Spirit, I just pray that if there's anybody here and they know they are not born again, but they know right now that you are knocking, that you are drawing, that you are wooing, that you are calling, that you are inviting, God, I just pray they say yes as best they know how, this isn't about becoming perfect right today. This is about just yielding, submitting, surrendering, repenting, trusting in Christ, seeing Christ as more precious, more valuable than 30 pieces of silver, seeing that our respectable goodness gets us no closer to heaven. We need Christ. God, for people here today and their love for you has grown cold, reassure them that you have not moved that you have not moved, and that your love for them is eternal and steadfast. And as they gaze on the cross and the empty tomb and the resurrected Jesus, the Messiah, Jesus the Christ, may their love for you be reunited. May what has become just a flicker of a flame in their heart begin to burn brightly and hot again. And God, for the people who they walked in, and they're just amening in their spirit right now because they love you and they're walking in love with you. God, again, fan that flame. Fan the flame because you died in their place too and you lavish love upon them and you are delighted to call them your sons and your daughters. God, we're going to worship you in song right now and I just pray, God, I pray we give you our affections worthy of your great love and your amazing glory. God, you're good, you're great, you're gracious. Thank you for meeting us here today. In your name we pray, amen.